Good evening, everyone. You're listening to American Indian Airwaves, Cowdy Radio. From Marcus Lopez, Corey Dubin, Fabiana Hirsch, I'm your host for the hour, Larry Smith. On tonight's show, a one-hour exclusive special on defunding the Dakota Access Pipeline Project and Bank Exit, the December 21st, 2016 action in Los Angeles, California, where Jane Fonda and others attempted to close their accounts at the Wells Fargo branch on 1600 Vine Street in Los Angeles, California. We'll hear exclusively from longtime activist, actress, and indigenous supporter Jane Fonda, indigenous youth Dakota Iron Eyes, longtime activist Dolores Huerta, and actress and activist Frances Fisher. You're listening to American Indian Airwaves, Cowdy Radio. You can hear when the moon shines bright, the lone food in the black of the night. You can hear, you can hear the whisper in the valley. Mm-hmm. And you know when come a knee blows to the Bahu drum, it's the warriors who are marching. In the first segment of tonight's show, I had the honor and pleasure to sit down with longtime activist, actress, and indigenous supporter Jane Fonda, activist Dolores Huerta, and indigenous youth activist Dakota Iron Eyes after yesterday's Jane Fonda's bank exit, where Jane Fonda herself attempted to enter the Wells Fargo branch on 1600 Vine Street in Los Angeles, California, and close her account. People throughout the United States and internationally have been closing their bank accounts at major financial institutions that are funding the Dakota Access Pipeline Project. Wells Fargo, Bank of America, and Chase Bank are just three of several financial institutions that are funding the Black Snake. People have been closing their accounts out as a means to starve financially the Dakota Access Pipeline Project. Yesterday's action was organized by Southern California AIM and SoCal 350 plus others. Approximately six to 800 people participated in yesterday's action, including actress and activist Lily Tomlin, Catherine Keener, Frances Fisher, and others. As people walked up to the Wells Fargo branch, Wells Fargo shut their doors, prohibiting anyone from entering or exiting the branch. However, at the time, a Tongva elder, Gloria Arianus, was already inside the Wells Fargo branch. While Wells Fargo management and security told her she could not leave the branch. Subsequently, she had to call the Los Angeles Police Department, stating that Wells Fargo was falsely imprisoning her. The police arrived and she was released. As part of Jane Fonda's bank exit, she attempted to pull out her money from Wells Fargo in an attempt to help starve. The black snake, however, was prohibited due to Wells Fargo management and security locking the doors and prohibiting 
anyone from entering the branch at 1600 Vine Street in Los Angeles, California. My conversation with Jane Fonda, Dakota Iron Eyes, Dolores Warta, and later in the conversation, Francis Fishner starts by asking Jane Fonda why the bank exit December 21st action and what it means to her. Well, I've been to Standing Rock, and um, I was very affected by my experience there. Um, my activism started on Alcatraz when um, the uh, Native Americans took Alcatraz and occupied Alcatraz, and I went there. I met Thomas Banyaka, and I met Wilma Mankiller, and, and uh, Lenata Means, and it was a very different situation in those days. There was a big conflict about whether to assimilate or whether to um, go to traditions, ceremonies, Sundance, sweat lodges, prayer, and um, because a lot of the Native people that were there were urban by now. Um, so going to Sundance and seeing that over 300 tribes could come together peacefully and that they had gone back to the traditional ways. And I could see and I could feel the difference. You know, we all have, to one degree or another, metabolized colonialism in our bones. It's very hard to rid yourself of that. And what I saw at Standing Rock was so many people, especially young people, who were ridding themselves of a colonial mentality or colonized mentality. They were people speaking native languages. Um, and, you know, at the school that was set up there, they were t teaching the kids to speak Lakota. And it was just very, very beautiful. And so, um, when I heard that there was going to be an, a defund Apple event here as part of the global movement to take money out of banks that are financially supporting the pipeline, I said, well, it happens to be my 79th birthday, so I will withdraw my money from Wells Fargo on the same day as your action. So that's why I'm here. And for you? Well, it's important. This action today was really important just to get the word out. Um, to people who have their monies in these banks like Chase Bank because what the banks are really funding and what they don't tell you is that they're funding the destruction of a people. They're funding genocide, really. And as a young person, I've had to witness things that I should not have to witness. I've seen my mom be arrested and actually she had court yesterday. It just got pushed back. And I've had to see my relatives on the front lines being maced and beaten by police who really aren't doing their job. Their job is to protect and serve the people of North Dakota. And we are citizens of North Dakota. And all they've, they have not done their job so far. All they've done is brutalize and victimize people on the Standing Rock Reservation. For our listeners, um, tell us where you're from, which nation, and, and where is that at in proximity to the Dakota Access Pipeline? Um, I'm Standing Rock Sioux. I live in Fort Yates, North Dakota. Um, the pipeline is going to be built near Cannonball, and that's about 30 minutes away from where I live. So that's how close I am. And uh, I remember some of the statistics are saying that if the pipeline were to be built and it, and it leaks, it would only take about 10 to 15 minutes to get into my school's water source. So... I mean, that's how close we are. That's, it's literally being built in, like, our backyards. So 
it was such it was a victory that the easement was denied but things are still not over yet president-elect trump is going to be in office soon and we don't know what he's gonna do so people are still out at camp and everything's still being held up but we do know we don't know what he's going to do but we do know that the only way to stop fascism the only way to stop injustice is for people to raise their voices you know i like being old because i can look back and see all the different times in history when it's actually succeeded in toppling apartheid in south africa in winning the lettuce boycott and improving situations for the for the farm workers and 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 so forth people's actions do, do make a difference and you know what really struck me when I was at, at at Standing Rock is the First Nations people, the indigenous people of North America, have been telling the white invaders, settlers, for centuries how you're supposed to live in relation to each other and how you're supposed to live in relation to the land, and instead we went in another direction. Sitting Bull at Standing Rock said the love of possession is a disease with them and we are suffering from a disease and if we don't start listening to indigenous people we're going to it's going to be terminal and it's like this stand at standing rock is it's a call for us to really finally wake up it's been too long too long with broken treaties against uh, indian country and too too long for us desecrating the land and not understanding that either we live in harmony with the land or we're going to die even dogs don't soil their own kennel you mentioned um, the divestment movement and i know this year there is about 5 trillion dollars divested from the non-renewable resource extractive industry this year and i know um, we're talking about standing rock but you've been opposed to non-renewable resources, and I'm thinking of uh, the emergence of the nuclear power industry in which indigenous peoples are on the front lines and the back lines, right? People are forcefully relocated to mine their uranium, even back home, but also in the Southwest. And then um, even two years ago, the courts reactivated the Yucca Mountain uh, disposal sites, so the Western Shoshones are again back on the defensive. So when when you talk about decolonization and settler colonialism. How do you conceive of yourself in relationship to where you live? I grew up, my father was a movie star, his name was Henry Fonda. He did a lot of westerns, cowboys and Indians. And so when I was very little and I would go to see a movie like the movie he did called Drums Along the Mohawk, um, where Indians were portrayed as, as terrifying, really scary. In fact, my family, the Fondas, canoed up the Hudson River and chose to build a homestead in a place that is now called Fonda, New York. But it was really Mohawk land. And I love the fact that now the Fonda homestead is owned by the Mohawks. (laughs) And they've turned it into a bed and breakfast. (laughs) So, you know, I'm well aware that I come from a people who have committed genocide against uh, indigenous people in the United States. But for some reason, I think partly because of my father also made Grapes of Wrath and Young Abe Lincoln and a lot of movies about justice and fairness. Um, And he taught me to stick up for the underdog. And so all my life, I kind of always identified with Tonto rather than the Lone Ranger. I have home movies of myself pretending to be an Indian. 
because I thought that was, I don't know, it was just part of what I liked. But I never understood the history because it's not taught in school. So I never understood. And when I was 31 years old, I went to India, East India, to try to find the quote-unquote the truth because everybody was doing that then. And I came back and I got off the plane in, in, in L.A., and there was, it was, there was a left-wing news, uh, magazine that was fabulous called Ramparts. And on the cover of the, that particular magazine was Lenata Means with her fist in the air, standing in front of a white wall with better red than dead. And it was an article by Peter Collier that gave, you know, in about seven pages, a brief history of what white people have done to Native Americans. And it changed my life. I called Peter Collier and said, and the, the focus of it was the occupation of Alcatraz, but it also gave the whole history behind, which I had been totally, I'm ashamed to say, ignorant. And so I called Peter Collier and he took me to Alcatraz, and that was the beginning for me. No, I think it's remarkable because one of the things I know when we talk about uh, the lack of education about American history is that in 90% of all the state standards, Native Americans are not mentioned after the year 1900 in the public school textbooks. And there's no mandate at the college level to even learn anything about indigenous people. We want to try to change that. And and, and, uh, I I know that the school that is kind of fledgling school at the camp Mm -hmm. at Standing Rock, they want to start a a school that would teach the real history. And um, we're going to try to bring a big yurt, a 30-foot yurt that could hold a library the actor Margot Kidder brought a lot of um, history books about the history and, you know, all those things that aren't taught. And so that's a beginning, if we can build up a library there um, so that y'all can, well, you seem, to know, you seem to know enough, but, you know, a lot of people have to learn what their history is so they'll know how to, how to move forward. We've just been joined by Dolores Huerta, by the way. <laughs> we are honored. Uh, thank you, Jane. Uh, and to respond to what you were saying right now, I think that that's part of our fight. I think the reason uh, that Donald Trump got elected is because we have an abysmal state of ignorance in our United States of America. And the fact uh, that it, uh, you know, in what we have done to indigenous people in America is not taught in our schools. I think that's part of the problem. And not only that, but we, when we think of, uh, you know, I, when I'm lecturing at colleges, I ask the question, how many of you know that the White House and the Congress were built by African slaves. And when Michelle said that at the DNC, but I, I, I will tell you that no one raises their hand because this is not taught in our school books, right? Or the genocide of uh, Native Americans and Mexicans. You know, when they took over the Southwest, there was a huge genocide against Mexicans and Indians. You know, like in Texas, there's very few Native tribes in Texas because it was just a mass genocide of indigenous people. And that is not taught in our schools, nor the contributions of uh, other people of color, like the people from Mexico, from the Philippines, from Japan, from China. And so our, you know, Anglo fellows, uh, relatives, as uh, Native people say, uh, they don't know this history. And so they somehow think that they did it all, you know, that they're the ones that built this country, and they don't realize, you know, what what the slavery was for uh, Native Americans and the rest of people who are like way slaves also in this country, and also the history of the labor movement. 
you know, people don't know. If it wasn't for labor, we wouldn't have an eight-hour day. We wouldn't have weekends. We wouldn't have safety. We wouldn't have workers' compensation. We wouldn't have Social Security. The contributions of women uh, to our to our society. And so, this is what we have to, you know, get into our school books so that every single class. And I think in California, we finally, I think they finally voted to bring the legislation to bring ethnic studies back. In the last election, we just voted in California voted to have bilingual education back, which Pete Wilson took away. Uh, and so, you know, I think that uh, this is one of the reasons why we have to organize at the grassroots level. We have to get progressive people elected. And we have to start changing the policies, especially things that are taught in our schools, you know. Because if we don't change, I mean, education is the soul of our society and this is what little young little people learn you know your kids in school and they go up and and i i had a, i just heard this comedian it was great he was saying you know when they taught teachers in our schools that uh columbus discovered the americas i mean he said how can you discover a place where people are already there and that are living there you know and that just you know this the, the way he taught that in our schools he said i guess i can go out of this uh place that I'm in right now and go down the street and discover me a new car, you know, somebody else's car. <laughs> so, uh, you know, everything you said, Jane, is so important and because I think that that is our mission, that we have to work, again, to erase the ignorance of the people in the United States of America uh, so that we can change the culture, uh, change the politics, and start on the right path for our society. You're listening to an exclusive interview with activist, actress, and Indigenous supporter Jane Fonda, youth Indigenous activist Dakota Iron Eyes, activist Dolores Huerta, and actress and actress Frances Fisher regarding the December 21st, 2016 bank exit action, whereby over 600 people showed up to protest Wells Fargo and for Jane Fonda to attempt to close her account as part of a larger divestment movement to defund the Dakota Access Pipeline. And now back to the interview. Another problem with Indigenous people's histories not being told is that our children grow up learning a false history. They go to school and they learn these things out of a textbook textbook when these textbooks are telling us that Native Americans are a thing of the past. Like you said, there's no up like there's no statement saying that we are just as modern as any other people in this world in America. And it's really wrong because kids have to like if the, unless their parents are teaching them their history orally, then they are learning a false history and that causes problems with like how how they see themselves how they perceive themselves as a people like how they find it within themselves to become their own person because in order to become your own person you need to understand where you actually come from and when you're being taught a false history then you don't really know where you come from and so that's just a problem with our youth today is that unless you have parents, and I'm glad to say that I have parents who will teach me what my history is, then you're being taught a lie. I had not known that Native people, children, were torn out of their homes. They had to burn their indigenous clothes. They had to cut their braids off, and they were forbidden to talk their native language. Now, if I, as a Caucasian, try to imagine what that would be like if I was forbidden to be who I was, 
and what that, I mean, no wonder there's a lot of substance abuse and all the things that go on, you know, when you've been so um, wrenched from your identity. So one of the beautiful things that I experience at Standing Rock, the woman who is um, one of the leaders at the school that was growing up in the camp, her father came up through the the Catholic boarding schools, you know, who was never allowed to speak Lakota. And so he was shamed, so he never spoke it at home, and so he never taught his daughter, but she learned, and she is now teaching her children. So the grandfather sits there watching his daughter talking Lakota to her children, and he begins now to speak his language, and his entire life changes. And suddenly the three generations are united in a way that they never were before. I mean, talk about healing. Yeah, my understanding too is that the Lakota declared their language uh, in a threatened language in the early part of 2015. So having uh, language revitalization is part of decolonization. Exactly. And so as indigenous peoples, right, as land-based peoples, and today's action was actually in the traditional territories of the Tongva, the Gabrenos, the mission, or the Spanish referred to them by their mission name. We are on the village side of Kwengna, uh, which means the place uh, or the land of the foxes. And so this would have been the traditional village where we are sitting at today and, and where the action was held at. But for the Tongva people, they're not federally recognized. They have no land base. L.A. County is, what, 98% developed. And so when we talk about decolonization and settlers like myself, I'm from North Carolina, but I live in Puvungna, which is now the city of Long Beach area. What does that mean to have a relationship of reciprocity with the indigenous people's lands that we live upon as settlers. And you kind of touched upon it a little bit earlier, but I was wondering if you'd be willing to re-explore that. I don't know if I understand your question. I mean, explain reciprocity in terms of land base. Well, as um, most of us, we live on indigenous people's lands, Uh like here in L.A. Uh So what is, given the history, like with the, you know, and, and here we have the mission system, Right, decimated coastal California indigenous mm-hmm. nations, right? And then we have uh, the United States. And what are the indigenous people here asking? Well, what I, would they like? Well, I think people would like to, to besides be treated like human beings, yeah. um, you know, like have some type of land base to be culturally practicing uh-huh. people. Uh-huh. Because how do you practice and live your traditions with competency if you don't have, don't have a place? If you don't have a place yes. and you don't have the traditional native plants, right? You don't have those cultural resources, if you will, yeah. to, to practice your traditions and pass those traditions on intergenerationally. So that's why I, when I talk about relationship or reciprocity what's our relationship with the peoples whose land we live on I'm fortunate enough to work with Tongva, uh, Chumash and Ahachman people but you know it's an ongoing process that they help me to define but I, I'm kind of the exception. What do you think? What do you think the solution is to that? I Well I think um, you know, having some type of recognition, some type of um, 
you know, truth and reconciliation process, some type of repatriation, you know, of land. I mean, for the Tongva, there's about 1,700 people in L.A. County, mm -hmm. and they have no spaces. Mm -hmm. If they want to go and gather any of their medicine, they have to go in private, and sometimes they have to trespass into mm -hmm. private mm -hmm. property, mm -hmm. the irony of that. I'm part of uh, the Tiat Society. Tiats are the traditional planker canoes of the Tongva. And so there's one traditional tiat called Mamani Hiko, means breath of ocean in Tongva, but they have no place, they have no boathouse along their traditional coastal lands. And I know for like that particular band of the Tongva, having a boathouse like the Chumash do up in Santa Barbara, where they can practice their maritime traditions would foster and nurture not only that relationship of reciprocity but foster and nurture the process of revitalizing you know indigenous people's traditions wow that's great that's new to me that's very heavy has anyone tried to actually pass legislation that would set aside um, land for that purpose no, because usually the California Coastal Commission approves all coastal development properties um, that would yeah. permanently decimate the land, and that's most recently evident with uh, the approval of the Banning Ranch Development Project yeah. in Newport Beach. Yeah. yeah. In our area, this is Dolores again, uh, in our area, uh, there by Tejon Ranch, you know, right by the grapevine, uh, the native tribe there had all of the documents, I mean, they had all of the historical documents that that land had been ceded to them, and even though they had all of the documents that were signed by the president at that time, and uh, they, they lost their case, and you wonder, how could that happen, you know what I mean, that when they have all of the historical documents and the treaties that were signed and all that, and they were still denied uh, the, the, their property uh, rights uh, there in the, there by the grapevine, you know, just uh, south of Bakersfield. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I know it's very, very difficult uh, uh, for natives uh, uh, to be able to reclaim their land. Like you say, have your own place where you can have your culture, and uh, like the Chumash folks have it there in, in, uh, in Santa Barbara County. So I, I think that's just kind of one of the other causes that we have to put on our, on our long list of, of, th of things that we have to fight for. But I just want to say in terms of Standing Rock, it has been such an inspiration, uh, you know, of uh, what people there have been doing that I think that they've inspired all of us to action. And we know that our... Uh, we have a very, very, very full agendas uh, for the next four years, but I just want to thank uh, Standing Rock and all the people who have supported Standing Rock and uh, the people for the great leadership of the L Lakota tribe. And uh, here we have one of our leaders, Only she's only 13 years old, <laughs> but she's one of our great leaders that we have. And I just want to thank all of them for having such patience with all of the relatives and, and uh, you know, being supportive of all of the relatives. We love you. We love you. And we want to thank you. And we don't know where this journey is going to take us, but we're all on this journey together. You know, we're all on this journey together. And uh, and I want to thank Jane for. We have to raise our voices, and we have to stay unified. And one thing I want to say about about when Jane Fonda is going to support your cause, she is there all the way. All right, she is not like she's not like the tourist that's just going to come by and, and say hello. And I'm going to help you out here a little bit. I mean, when when Jane says she's in, she's in all the way. And I want to thank you, Jane, for and I told her this earlier, for all her courage because she's always been out there in the front in the vanguard, uh, taking all of the criticisms, all of the arrows that are shot at her <laughs> for her for her stands and 
It just takes so much, especially when I think sometimes it's easier for those of those of us who have lower profiles uh, to get involved. You know, uh, we don't have as much at stake. But when Jane takes a position, I mean, she's always a high-profile person, and she takes all of the criticisms and instead of it diminishing her it seems to make her stronger and she grows with it and she's ready for the next big struggle and thank you thank you Jane Fonda for, for standing up thank you thank you so much isn't it great that um, I, I ran for a while with my my then husband Tom Hayden we ran a children's camp at the top of the San Marcos Pass above Santa Barbara and uh, some of Dolores's children went to this camp and it just so happens that it's next to the Painted Cave community where one of the wonderful Chumash painted caves are, and that's where I became familiar with the Chumash tribe. And yeah, how do we harvest the energy from Standing Rock, especially when we talk about oil? Wherever there's oil, there's hydraulic fracturing, there's natural gas. So how do we take Standing Rock? Because we say Standing Rock is everywhere, and how do we bring that to the places, those struggles that are out in Standing Rock? How do we bring those to the places where we live? like LA, like Long Beach, which are both oil towns. If you go back, back in the day, you'd see all kinds of oil derricks populating the, the land here in LA, all the way down to Newport Beach. So how do, we, how do you envision bringing Standing Rock everywhere? Well, I think that's a, it's a challenging question. And as, as, as Dolores said, the list is long, but I, I think um, certainly going to Standing Rock and Frances Fisher is sitting on the other side of you and she was in Standing Rock for quite a long time. I, I think a lot of us are much more aware of certain issues and that you know maybe we can start to build support and a movement in San Diego in Los Angeles to, to try to help the indigenous people here to to do what you said to have it. It's, it's more complicated when you're in a dense city that lacks housing 300 housing, 3 million housing units are lacking. So we, we just have to figure out how to do it. And I don't know what the strategy is right now. Because I frankly haven't thought about it, I'm ashamed to say. You know, the issues of urban, the urbanization of tribal lands. Yeah. Well, I think first we need to think about the fact that there are peoples in different communities who aren't acknowledging this big oil and big gas, they aren't acknowledging that it's a problem. I mean, we're dealing with people who think that climate change is a myth. So first, we need to get people to realize that these things are problems and they're affecting real people. And then from there, I think we just if we can keep moving forward and keep the movement going, then who knows where it can take us. I mean... If we just we just all need to keep building and building until until finally the world is back to its normal state, <laughs> a healthy state. Communication, <laughs> yeah. Today, I've met more people, and we're expanding the circle and keeping ourselves informed. Uh, I've learned so much. I, I'm shocked at my ignorance, and uh, I need to learn more so I know how to speak about certain things. But what you're talking about, um, the, the, the herb, what's happening in places I never even realized. I never, it never crossed my mind because we never even got that kind of education about the history, the Howard's Inn <laughs> story, you know. But then, you know, we've got the garden down in, uh, in um, 
East LA, right? That that uh, South, South Central. South Central. Mm-hmm. Getting that back would be something, because mm-hmm. it was happening before, and then it was taken over and they destroyed it. Yes. Um, that would be a good beginning, and I think that would be a good gathering place to find out what is going on, mm-hmm. and in each each city to have people find out who is there, what do they need, and start communicating. Yeah. So I just want to say thank you for joining us, and I I respect your work. Um, I've followed what you do active in terms of your activism over the years, and I respect your acting work too. I, as a movie guy, works in film. I like to believe I kind of understand the institutionalized sexism that exists and the ageism that exists in Hollywood. And um, I really think the work that you and Lily are doing on Netflix is um, bucking some of that uh, adversity that exists within the industry. Well, I can tell you it's pretty exciting on my 79th birthday to be sitting at a table with Dolores Mm Wedgla, who was the main negotiator for the the Farm Workers Union (laughs) and who has such experience with organizing and movement building. And then next to me is a 13-year-old who is one of the leaders of the Standing Rock movement. I mean, that's, you know, it's very exciting, and I'm very grateful to you. And that was an exclusive interview with longtime activist, actress, and indigenous supporter Jane Fonda, indigenous youth activist Dakota Iron Eyes, activist Dolores Huerta, and joining us at the end, actress and activist Frances Fisher, discussing the December 21st, 2016 bank exit strategy and action that took place in front of Wells Fargo on 1600 Vine Street in Los Angeles, California. The action is part of a larger divestment movement to defund the Dakota Access Pipeline Project. Over 600 people showed up. Even an indigenous elder was temporarily falsely imprisoned within the Wells Fargo branch, which refused to permit anyone from entering or exiting the branch while the action occurred. For more information on defunding the Dakota Access Pipeline Project, you can visit the defunddapple.org website. And that concludes the first segment on tonight's show of American Indian Airwaves. We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. Willingness to believe using the lie like a drug for the heart, silencing questions and feelings with answers of fear and doubt, taking the mind through trips, some self-pity, some anger, some blame, disconnected from time dreams, the medicine of dream time encoded in the DNA of human form, spiritual, umbilical cords, inside human consciousness, dream time, a place of being, outside of us, inside of us, where we can unhide our hiddens, straight talk, with ancestor memories, free without judgment, answers to questions and feelings. Dream time is part of our pulse 
memories in the shapes of life. We are a part of that. The breath part. Our memories come from the earth and return to the earth. In the reunion, our pulse comes from the sky and returns to the sky. Dream time. A place of being outside of us, inside of us, where we can unhide our hiddenness. Straight talk with ancestor memories. Free without judgment. Answers to questions and feelings. Memories in the shapes of life. We are part of that. The breath part. The song Time Dreams by the band The Pines featuring John Trudell and Quiltman, a special winter solstice thank you gift that was released on December 21st of 2016. You're listening to American Indian Airwaves County Radio. In the final segment of tonight's show, we go back to the December 21st, 2016 bank exit action at the Wells Fargo branch on 1600 Vine Street in Los Angeles, California whereby over 600 participants showed up along with other celebrities and activists such as Jane Fonda who attempted to close her Wells Fargo account. However, upon approaching the bank, Wells Fargo closed its doors and prohibited anyone from entering or exiting the branch. Inside the Wells Fargo branch was an indigenous Tongva elder, Gloria Arianas, who was falsely imprisoned and temporarily prohibited from exiting the Wells Fargo branch until the Los Angeles Police Department arrived. The bank exit action is part of a larger international divestment movement to defund the Dakota Access Pipeline Project. For more information, you can go to the defunddapple.org website. In the final segment of tonight's show, I sat down with Frances Fisher. She's a longtime actress and activist. She participated in the December 21st, 2016 bank exit action in front of Wells Fargo, and she just recently returned back from the Standing Rock Sioux Nation. This is Frances Fisher on why she participated in yesterday's action and what it means for her. Well, Bank Exit, which is a hashtag Bank Exit, is an important movement that is growing uh, daily because of the information that's being spread through social media. Uh, Jane Fonda was the focus of today because she took her money out of Wells Fargo. And how many people, Lori, do you think showed up? 
today. I was asking around. I don't know. Somebody said 500. I feel like it was a little bit more, but 500, 800. So it was a lot of people. Wow. I couldn't see because we were we were close to the front, so I couldn't see the crowd. Um, uh, but yeah, so so they didn't let her in because um, I don't know why. They just it it actually turned out to be a better event on the street mm. actually because everybody was able to be there. The importance of it is is that you know a lot of us did go to Standing Rock, and there are many more people who haven't gone to Standing Rock, and they're trying to figure out how they can participate. How can they help? A lot of them sent donations, sent money to the right organizations to help winterize the camp. Uh, but Bank Exit is one of the movements that's afoot, and millions and millions of dollars have been divested so far. And I've heard from other sources, Larry, <laughs> that worldwide it might be in the trillions. I want that information. You'll get it. Okay. <laughs> trillions divested worldwide. Yeah, so that's what we did, did today. Uh, we, we spread the news through social media. I think Wells Fargo got the word, obviously, that we were coming, so that's why they closed their doors. But there were three elders who were left in the bank because they had been in there earlier and they wouldn't let them out. So that was, that was frustrating for them. But Jane made her speech and we had amazing, a, a drums, an amazing drum circle. We marched from Wells Fargo down to Chase and uh, we did a circle and there was dancing and music and speeches and prayers. A mix of people. Uh, native people, obviously, white people, LGBT, women, children, men, <laughs> and it was a it was a beautiful afternoon of uh, people coming together, sharing their love, and sharing what an effective action can be, which is bank ex exit, you know, defund Dapple, defunddapple.com is where to go for the information as to where you can defund, uh, take out your money, divest your money. Now, outside of today's action, you've actually been to Standing Rock, so share with us uh, when you were out there and what your experience was. Oh my God. Well, as I said today, it was life-changing. Uh, how I learned about Standing Rock originally was through Lori Woodley's daughter, Shailene who will be joining us momentarily. Shailene was so vocal on social media about what was going on that I started paying attention. And I watched the videos and I was horrified to see how people were being treated. And it brought back to me all the things I learned when I read Howard Zinn's People's History of the United States, like what really happened, what really happened to the original people, the first peoples of North America, it's horrifying. And this feels like it's a deja vu. Like again, they're being mistreated, attacked. When I saw those pictures of dogs with bloody mouths and horses being shot and people being put in jail for nothing, nobody is violent in that camp. Nobody has weapons. So 
the first time that I was able to get away from work when I was I was between jobs and I had two weeks, I finally got to Standing Rock in November. Oh my God, the first night I arrived, I'd found someone through uh, social media on, uh, on Twitter because I'd seen a picture, just happened, that I saw a picture of him and Mark Ruffalo, whom I've known for many years, and Mark was also becoming very vocal about what was happening at Standing Rock. So I private messaged him, and he wrote back, he says, whatever you need, I'll give you any information, because I was going there cold. I didn't really know anybody on the ground. And then Desiree Kane, I realized she was out there, so she gave me some information, but I was kind of flying blind. But I knew there was a hotel there, the Prairie Nights Hotel, owned by the tribe. So I made a reservation for two weeks, and uh, I arrived. And uh, Angelo met me at the Prairie Nights, and he gave me this scarf. And he says, are you ready to go on an action tomorrow morning? It's like, what? I just got here. And so, but it was a, it was a, it was a peace. Well, they were all, they're all peaceful. They all start peaceful. And this one started and ended peacefully. We marched, uh, we went up to Bismarck and marched with a huge group of people from the camp, uh, from the uh, state capitol down to uh, another state building and I was able to meet a lot of people who have been on the front lines and just listened because I don't didn't know enough and I'm still learning and then just started meeting people but the thing that really struck me is that I felt as if I was friends with everybody they immediately hugged you let me rephrase that they immediately hugged me with a hug that was so genuine and real and deep that it actually shifted my energy in that moment. And then I realized in I went to the camp the next day and every day after that, and just walking through and driving down that road with all the flags, first time I saw those flags and realized these are flags from all of the different tribes that have historically been at war with each other or have had differences with each other, right? And yet here they all are together, dropping all of their issues to come and stand at Standing Rock, united for the cause of stopping the pipeline because water is important to them. You're listening to an exclusive interview with actress and activist Frances Fisher on the December 21st, 2016 bank exit action in Los Angeles, California, and her recent trip to the Standing Rock Sioux Nation in supporting the opposition of the Dakota Access Pipeline. And now back to the interview. And it's a human right issue as well. And I... I'm curious, what's your history in terms of being involved with social um, justice issues and particularly working with indigenous peoples or Native American peoples? Uh, This is my first time in this arena uh, working with with Native people. I've always been a bit of an activist, you know, I've tried to get, you know, I mean, when Planned Parenthood old enough to have fought uh, to stop the Vietnam War, uh, the ERA, 
And can you believe the Equal Rights Amendment still has yet to be passed? It's just so sad. And my activism, you know, I, I'm on, a, on the board of the Environmental Media Association, and I became a member of the Screen Actors Guild Board of Directors to help. But, you know, the thing that I saw about Standing Rock is, as you said, it is a human rights issue. It's an environmental issue. It's a social justice issue. It's an indigenous sovereignty issue. There's so many, and, and that, those are just the headers of, with a lot of subgroups underneath that. One-stop shopping. These people have been maligned since white people showed up and colonized, colonized them. It's got to stop. Especially after the election, there comes a point where you just say, enough is enough. And I felt that way after... Bernie was uh, cheated out of his rightful place, in my opinion. And so when this came up, I realized, okay, we've got to do, I've got to do everything I can in order to make something right for somebody. I want to help somebody. And being there made it right. So one of the things we were talking about earlier is, um, you know, Standing Rock is everywhere. And so how do we view Standing Rock here and all of us myself included are settlers I'm not Tongva I'm not from here but I live on Tongva land and so I understand myself to be a settler colonist like everybody else so in understanding that how do you would you view say Standing Rock issues out here from a Tongva perspective and as a settler um, what kind of relationship of reciprocity do you have with the indigenous people's land that you live on? You know, this is something that is, I'm just becoming aware. I'm embarrassed to say that it has not crossed my mind. And I have a lot to learn, as we all do, to find out how to make amends. There's a book called Illuminata, written by Marianne Williamson. She wrote it in 19... 96 and one of her prayers is a prayer to the Native Americans to apologize for what was done to them I remember reading that years ago and it was the first inkling like yeah yeah and then then finding out about exactly how they were colonized and how they were ripped away from their families and sent to boarding school and to, to, to wear these clothes that I'm sure felt awful and strange and they weren't allowed to speak their language or practice their religion. I mean, that's, that is so cruel. So to see that, you know, when I found out that the pipeline originally was going to go through Bismarck and that all those white people up there said, no, not in my backyard. Let's push it off. You know, let's, let's go through some ancient burial sites, you know. And then to go to Turtle Island and see my friends grieving for the fact that they can't go and visit their, the ancient burial sites of their ancestors because the Dapple police are up there walking around with their guns and putting barbed wire all around it. They can't even walk on the land. It, it really... Uh, 
it's infuriating because there's, I guess there's some piece of me where maybe somewhere in my history, I was not treated well. And I promised myself I'm not ever going to let that happen to Francis again. But then I see that's happening to my brothers and sisters because they became my brothers and sisters. That's what was so amazing about being at camp. I've made lifelong friends there just in two weeks because there's a common thing going through all of us, which is don't tread on me. How dare you disrespect the land that we, nobody owns this land. And learning the culture, praying, so much prayer, so much gratitude to the Creator. This is something that's not in our culture anymore. Uh, people pray, at, you know, if they go to church or Christmas time or whatever. This is a daily thing, all the time. They walk in prayer. We could learn so much from the, the ways of the native people just because they do care about the water and the earth and the land, the, 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 the air, the animals. Sorry, the two-legged, the four-legged, the, the air and the sea, Mother Earth, Father Sky, Grandmother Moon, uh, the star people, you know, depending where you come from. You know, there's um, li life is living everywhere yeah. from indigenous perspectives. Yeah. And um, just given your, your experience and what you've learned and just a short amount of time and considering where you've come from, what comes next? I, it hasn't come to me yet. Uh, the one thing that I also experienced at camp is that when I thought something, like, oh, I, I, I need to find such and such or find so-and-so, I'd turn around and there they'd be. Mm. Or I'd find that tent that I was looking for because there are really no signs at camp. You just have to kind of follow your nose and they go, oh, yeah, you go past the porta potties and go to... to uh, huts down and then you turn at that uh, stick in the ground <laughs> then you'll go past the horses and we're over on the right next to that white thing <laughs> it's like what <laughs> but also there you know there's media hill there where you could get a signal but not at camp, not in the main camp so you're not on your cell phone you're just walking around one's tuition intuition gets really heightened because you're just going off of feeling, and uh, well, let me what's ask next? Oh, what, yes, yeah, yeah what's next. next? It, it will present itself. It will present itself. I mean, I know that there are a lot more pi pipelines happening, and the group I work with is already on that. And because there is so much work to do on so many levels now, what, should I stay in my own city and? reach out to the local people here and find out what they need and get to work on that? Or do I go down to Texas? No, that doesn't feel right. But something, it feels right to possibly stay here and work on the issues that need to be dealt with here in Los Angeles. If everyone took that cause up in their own hometown, maybe some real movement could happen there. Hmm. And you know, Los, Los Angeles County does have the largest urban indigenous population throughout the United States. 
I didn't know that. How do I find that information? Now that I have my new best friend who's going <laughs> to give me all this information, aren't you? I'm, I'm more than happy to share whatever I have, yeah. have with you. I mean, you know, it's like... The thing is, you don't know until you know. So when I... I have to forgive myself for my ignorance and learn. And it's a big lesson when I see someone else who is ignorant. I can't be mad at them because they don't know. It's through kindness and love that you educate and open their minds and hearts to a new way of perceiving something. The moment of silence is over. And that was Frances Fisher, a longtime activist and actress, and briefly, Lori Woodley, the mother of actress and activist Shailene Woodley, speaking on the December 21st, 2016 bank exit action that took place in downtown Los Angeles, California, in front of the Wells Fargo branch on 1600 Vine Street, Los Angeles, California, the Chase Bank, just down the road. The bank exit action resulted in over 600 people turning out to support Jane Fonda attempting to close her Wells Fargo account as part of a larger divestment movement to defund the Dakota Access Pipeline Project. Wells Fargo, Chase Bank, and Bank of America are three of some of the larger international banking institutions that are funding the Dakota Access Pipeline. For more information on the Defund DAPL movement, you can go to the website www.defunddapl.org. And that concludes our show for tonight here on American Indian Airwaves County Radio. A special thank you to our guests for the hour, longtime activist, actress, and indigenous supporter Jane Fonda, indigenous youth activist Takota Iron Eyes, longtime activist Dolores Huerta, actress and activist Frances Fisher, and Lori Woodley. A special thank you to our musical guests for the hour, Aragon Star, the band Koopa Aina, the band The Pines featuring John Trudell and Quiltman, and the band Blackfire. American Indian Airwaves County Radio is mixed and mastered in the studios of Burnt Swamp Studio in Signal Hill, California, and Coyote Radio in Goleta, California. For Marcus Lopez, Corey Dubin, Fabiana Hirsch, I've been your host for the hour, Larry Smith. Until next time. For all the pain and all the suffering, we take a stand. We take a stand. We sleep cage against our fears. What we've been torn Wearing our souls on the thread The moment of silence is over